Welcome to the Sterling Foursquare Church Podcast. Our mission is to offer hope for the broken, lives that are thriving, the equipping of believers, and the launching of leaders. More info can be found at sterlingfoursquare.com. Thank you for joining us today. We've been in a series for the last couple of weeks now, and it is called One Way Jesus. One Way Jesus. And we started that first week kind of laying out the premise. There's a lot of different ideas and ways that people go about trying to describe Jesus and even coming to conclusions about who Jesus would be or should be and what he should do or shouldn't do. But that ultimately we should let Jesus do that for us. That he makes some very clear statements that are recorded in scripture about who he is and what he intends to do in our life. And so we've moved into this series, One Way Jesus, allowing him to inform that for us. And we're looking at the seven I am statements in the Gospel of John. In in John's Gospel, on seven occasions, there are statements that Jesus makes about identity and his, uh, uh, that indicate the activity that he would be about. And they begin with, I am, and then he's got like this really big audacious statement that comes after that. Last week, we looked at the statement that he made, the declaration that he is the bread of life and what that means and how to apply that. And this morning, we'll be looking at the second I am statement recorded in John. If you want to get there ahead of time, You can get to John chapter 8. That's where we're going to be in just a minute. Uh, Yesterday, I got up early before sunrise, grabbed my son, and jumped in the truck. And we were out northwest of town, kind of pounding through prairie land and pasture. And we were out uh, way before sunrise. It was dark, dark. We had the headlights on uh, on the truck, and that was really all that we could see. And the places that I was trying to get to, I typically navigate by just kind of not, it's it's landmarks. Anybody that's kind of the, you don't know the name of the roads of any of the things that you drive on, but you know where the one thing is that you got to turn left or right or go behind to get there. Like, that's how I was navigating, but I was doing that in the dark, and there were even, like, homesteads that I usually kind of use as a landmark where everything was dark, and I didn't even know where they were there. We just went right past those. So we had to double back a few times to get where we were going, and we ultimately got to this pasture gate that we needed to get through, and uh, it was just the headlights on the truck and my kind of vague know-how of the terrain, and everything else was dark. Everything else was dark. And so I got out of the truck and I began to feel my way forward. I got the pasture gate opened and I started to move and I fell, <laughs> I fell in a hole and like pitched straight forward onto my face. And the last time that that happened, Pastor Ben had surgery, if anybody remembers last year. This time, the only thing that was fractured in me was my pride as my son got to watch that through the front windshield and remind me uh, that I needed to pay attention and how uh, maybe I was getting a little bit old, but I had just enough light. I had just enough light to think that I knew where I was and what I was doing, but just not enough light to keep from stumbling and falling into a hole that was clearly in front of me. And I'd share that with you because we're going to be looking at Jesus's statement as being the light of the world. And I share the story of just kind of having a partial light and stumbling in that because many cases that's kind of how we fumble our way through life. It's certainly the way that we are uh, prior to really seeing the light in a sense of understanding who Jesus is and being able to respond to that. But when we can't truly see, okay, when we can't truly see, 
we typically have a way of stumbling about. And whether we have uh, the talent or our best efforts, whether we have the best intentions, that still ends up being the case that without clear sight, at some point we find ourselves bumping and stumbling. And in a spiritual sense, Scripture refers to this as walking in darkness. Walking in darkness. In fact, in both Old and New Testament, you would bump into that statement. There are very many times where the people of God are described in this way, the people of the world are described in this way, that this has to do with kind of a, a tension, a problem that is, uh, 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 plagues humanity and is something that is in the, both Old and New. It's from the beginning to the end. It's part of the story at times, this idea of walking in darkness. And ultimately what you land on is this premise that without Christ, apart from Jesus, you're, you're unable to truly see. That at some point, in some place, in some fashion, there's a fumbling and a stumbling about in your life as a result of that. And so as we get to John chapter 8, John, John records Jesus making this statement of his person as being the light of the world. And then there's a contrast. There's going to be a contrast into how life can be experienced in regards to responding to that truth and whether or not it's something that is received. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and get that out. If you've got your smartphone or your tablet, I want to encourage you to go ahead and open up your Bible app. And let's go ahead and ask the Lord to prepare our hearts. Jesus, we come before you and we ask that you would prepare our hearts for your word today. Lord, make our hearts soft of the, uh, to receive the truth of your word, uh, that we would receive it and that it would grow and produce a harvest of righteousness in our lives. Lord, you warn us against having eyes that don't see and ears that are stopped up. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would soften our hearts, that you would give us humility today as we would come to your word, and that you would open our eyes and open our ears, that we would hear your words and that we would see your person at work in our life as a result of that. In Jesus' name, amen. John chapter 8, I'm going to give you a quick kind of background over this because there's some significant things that are going on here. And if you are looking for a, ro a more robust study, if you want a greater understanding of the context, then I would encourage you to read both John chapter 8 and John chapter 9 because both of those narratives are connected uh, by this statement and really an argument that comes uh, or a debate, as it were, that comes as a result of what Jesus says. And so in John chapter 8, John chapter 8 opens up and, and Jesus is going to begin to speak to a collective of people, but he's in the temple. Uh, John has, has Jesus in, in the temple at this time, and so he's surrounded by people who should be people of the light. He's surrounded by Pharisees and Sadducees and religious leaders. He's surrounded uh, um, by uh, proselytes. He's surrounded by, uh, by uh, Jewish worshipers. He's, he's surrounded by the collective of who would identify themselves as being God's people and being people of the light. And there's uh, kind of this, these, these two pieces to the narrative that are moving and pushing uh, and demonstrating the power of Jesus. One is... Uh, uh, um, uh, revolves around a woman who was caught in sin and the other narrative bridged by this is a man who is blind physically and is then healed. And in the middle of this, Jesus makes this statement about himself. And both narratives and the threaded conversation between them are not primarily concerned with sin. 
and they're not primarily concerned with physical healing. The issue at hand has to do with walking in darkness. The issue at hand has to do with being spiritually blind to the truth of who Jesus is and what that means and then how that can change the experience around us. So the, the forgiveness of sin in the earlier part of the narrative and the physical healing and freedom that comes as a celebration of the power of the kingdom of God later in the narrative are both just to be illustrative of the need for us to move from being people who are walking in darkness to being people who have received, as Jesus would say, at the light of life. And so he's in a collective teaching in that place where in John chapter 8, verse 12, he makes this declaration. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. And there's no wiggle room here with what he's saying. He's not suggesting that he's one of many lights, that he's the brightest of separate lights, that somehow he is part of a conglomeration of lights or that he's in a string of lights. He's making a very, very clear, I am the light of the world. And the suggestive uh, accompaniment to this would be, and there is no other. This is one of those one-way Jesus statements. I am the light of the world. There, there is not another light. There's no other way to experience or to understand that in that sense. So certainly he's talking about this in uh, ultimately a spiritual sense because we've got lights on here in the building and the sun is up outside. It, 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 would, it would be fanciful for it to not be understood in that way. And so in this spiritual need, this very uh, spiritual sense, I am the light of the world. And then he continues on. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And so there's a contrast of, of how you respond to this truth and what the experience of your life becomes with based on that recognition and that response that those who uh, uh, respond to Jesus in a way where they receive him, those who follow me shall, what? shall not walk in darkness, but rather they would have the light of life. And so he makes this one-way statement, I am the light of the world, and then now there's two responses that lead to very different uh, recognitions and very different experiences as far as life moving forward in responding to that truth. And what I want to do this morning is I want to answer two questions for us that should kind of rise in this when we're just trying to be contemplative and self-aware as to where we are in this statement. And the two questions are this. First of all, we need to know what does it look like to walk in darkness? What does it look like to walk in darkness? And this is going to be a really important one for you and I to wrestle out because most of us would immediately say that doesn't apply to me. Right, Pastor, I'm here at church. I saw you put the gold star on my attendance sheet, so I'm good. I'm, I'm here, right? I, I sang some songs. I know some verses. This is part of my regular. You know, we would immediately start to put ourselves in a place where we would excuse ourselves from any scrutiny of the Spirit or any scrutiny from God's Word that would try to bring us to a place of either repentance or response. We like to kind of put that into the, the others are there. And the danger in that is that we would go ahead and kind of step out of the opportunity to actually be brought into a greater understanding of Jesus as the light, to allow the light of who Jesus is to actually bring exposure to maybe some things in our lives that need to be addressed, and then to allow him to do something about that. So please don't, don't miss the moment. 
Don't miss the moment. In fact, if you were to read John chapter 8 from right after Jesus' declaration of this statement, when he says, I am the light of the world, the very first response comes from the religious leaders and they push back to argue against it. They actually challenge the statement and they bring an Old Testament technicality, a scriptural technicality into the debate to try to make it not something that is even plausible, let alone something that they have to receive and then respond to. And it's based on the understanding of Old Testament testimony and how that is established through witnesses. And you can read that for yourself if you're a little bit more uh, interested in that. But the immediate response for those uh, who were already quote-unquote religious was that doesn't apply to me. And so please don't respond in that way because they missed it. They knew scripture, they had religious expression, and they followed all of the behavior codes. And Jesus was right there and they couldn't see him for who he was. But we do have to wrestle out what does it look like to walk in darkness. And then we're going to answer the question, what does it look like to have the light of life? And there's going to be kind of this this, this or that type of opposites that we're going to be presented today. And it's a, good, uh, it, it's, it's a good practice for us to consider what does it look like to walk in darkness. Because a lot of times when we are dealing with those types of issues in our lives, we are blissfully unaware of those. In fact, in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 19, it says this, the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. There's a way for our countenance and our understanding to be darkened to the degree that we're fumbling and bumbling and we're making our way forward. And we know that maybe there's things in the way, but we're not even are able to, to, to identify what those things are, let alone address those or approach those in a way where the Holy Spirit can bring freedom as a response. There's even times where we wouldn't even necessarily know that we were bumping or stumbling as well. We, become, we can become so darkened in that way. And the, and the reason why is because we can grow accustomed to the dark. Now, this isn't talking about a salvation issue here. This isn't suggesting that you've received Christ and you've become a person of the light, but now all of a sudden that has been lost and you are plunged back into darkness. But there are many, many, many ex- uh, uh, um, experiences in scripture that would show somebody who has responded to God but then still been walking out praxis or practically the opposite of those things. In fact, when, uh, when God would deal with his people in the Old Testament, he would say, hey, you are called by my name. Uh, so kind of walk that out, live that out. Why are you going back to those old ways? You see the same type of challenge in the New Testament uh, through the, the narrative of the gospels and then particularly the letters back to the church. Paul's language of, hey, you're a new creation, but you're living out the old man. Like, what's the deal with that? It's this type of thing that you and I can, uh, can find ourselves in a place where we are slowly a little bit like growing dim in the way that we are understanding who we are and the way that God is leading us. You and I can become accustomed to the dark. And in fact, like you've all been in a place where you've been in a bright room and you've gone outside and you couldn't see anything because the light was lower or because it was dark altogether. But what happens if you just stay out there for a while? Your eyes what? Adjust to the dark. And that can happen to you and I in a spiritual sense. That idea, that premise kind of led me on a rabbit trail this week. And I started thinking about things uh, in nature that illustrate that. And in particular, started thinking about animals that kind of move around without kind of the sense 
of sight. They, they, they kind of move into other senses to kind of do things. And, you know, you're, you're typically drawn to stuff like worms, right? Everybody knows worms don't have eyeballs, right? I mean, any fishermen here? There's things like that. There's low-hanging fruit in the animal kingdom where you're like, of course that doesn't have an eyeball or this doesn't either. But there's some really interesting, there's some really interesting creatures that have eyes but can't see. Uh, and you'll bump into a few things. There's a number of different moles that fall into that category, right? Because they're always underground and uh, digging and burying. There's a, a salamander that falls into that. But the one that was most interesting to me is a Mexican tetra. It's got a couple other different names as well, as far as like a cave fish or something like that. And they're really small. They only grow to be about three inches. But it, the, their, it, their experience in their lifespan is wild. So they, they live in dark caves. They live in kind of low-lit, dim waterways. And when a Mexican tetra uh, emerges and when it's hatched from the egg, it has eyes. They actually, they develop eyes and they can see. But because of their environment and because of the, the way that they develop within that environment over time, they go through ocular degeneration. That means that their eyeballs don't work anymore. That's just a fancy way to say it right? Their eyeballs stop working. In fact, the degenerative process moves from them having eyes that are formed that can see to then they begin to lose their sight. And then they can go through another layer of the process where they lose their sight altogether and they are fully blind. And then this is what's really wild. There's another step in the degenerative process where their eyes go away completely where it's not just like having eyes that now don't see very well, which as I age, I feel like I'm getting into that kind of strata, to like eyes that don't see at all. And it's like, man, that would feel like a travesty to like, bro, your eyes are gone. Like that's the process that they go through. And I, I it was just, um, uh, it, w it was just such an interesting, I think, illustration of sometimes the degenerative process people go through when it comes to spiritual understanding. That because they allow their hearts and their minds to be darkened and to align with maybe things that aren't true, that they can go through a series of process where they not only cannot recognize the truth, but they can't even see it for what it is. And that's really what Jesus describes the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the time. Their hearts had become so hardened that they were people who had ears that did not hear and eyes that could not see. And he was speaking about that kind of that progression of deterioration spiritually in the people of God. And so when Jesus makes this declaration as I am the light of the world, and then he contrasts walking in darkness, being spiritually blind with living a life where you have the light of life. Those are the two things that are on offer for you and I. And so as we answer this question, what does it look like to walk in darkness? We're actually going to look at Isaiah chapter 61. When Jesus begins his ministry, as recorded in Luke chapter 4, he comes into the synagogue at that time. He sits and he opens the scroll of Isaiah and he reads the first section of verses and then he closes it up and he says, this has now been fulfilled. This is me and this is what I am here to do. And so here's the words that he says there. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Everybody say poor. See, nobody wants to say poor, right? Everybody's like, he's going to say, everybody say good news, right? Because good news, we're like a little bit more yeehaw about that, right? But this is going to be important. It's going to be important because I believe it's a qualifier for the diminishment that happens in the next three verses. 
I have come and been anointed to proclaim the good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for those who are prisoners. If you were to take this same section, if you were going to read it in Luke chapter 4, where the Hebrew here is then retranslated into Luke chapter 4 from the Septuagint. So it goes through a, tr- uh, a, a um, translation process from Hebrew to Greek there, and then from Greek to English. It reads a little bit different, and the reason why is because they kind of focus in on the thread of oppression and darkness in that. There's an oppressive piece to this, but ultimately what is being described here is what it looks like to not have the light of life. What's being described here is what it looks like to practically and experientially live a life where you are walking in darkness. And when Jesus says, I have come to proclaim good news to the poor, this isn't just about your finances. This isn't just about your social status. This isn't just about kind of where you are socially or how you perform or whether you are marginalized. This idea of poor means to have less. It certainly applies to all of those things, being a person who is marginalized or overlooked or shoved off to the side or told that you don't have value. It certainly applies to the things that we need as far as the provision and the needs in our lives. It can be applied to all of those things, but it's bigger than that. It's a declaration that I have come to proclaim good news for everyone who has less. Everyone who has less than what they were intended to have in being created in the image of God, with God having plans and purposes for them, for there being redemption for their sin, for there being gifts of the Spirit, all of the things, all of the things, wherever you and I are living and walking out a less than life, Jesus has come to proclaim good news that we don't have to walk in that type of darkness, but that we can have the light of life. And then he begins to, I believe, describe three ways that we can understand walking in darkness. He has come to bind up the brokenhearted. What does it look like to walk in darkness? To to live out your brokenness. To, To live out your brokenness. This brokenhearted, this this isn't just about grief. This isn't just about, oh, you got, you know, you, you, your girlfriend broke up with you or your family fractured. Your grandmother passed away. This isn't just grief. It's brokenness. That he has come to bind up or to set back in place or to heal or reset the things in our lives that are broken or in need of healing. It's a statement of healing and wholeness. It's a statement of healing and wholeness. I am the light of the world. And you can walk in darkness, embracing all of your need for healing and wholeness, but never being healed or whole. You can lean into your brokenness and you can live that out as your identity, or you can come to me and have what? The light of life. He's intended to bring healing and wholeness. The next thing that he moves on to in, in, um, in reading Isaiah 61 as him being the fulfillment is to proclaim freedom for the captives. And one of the things that it looks like for you and I when we are walking in darkness is we find ourselves bound or fettered or restricted and overwhelmed by oppressive 
fill in the blank. Sometimes that's oppressive circumstances. Sometimes that's the oppressive results of our own decisions. But we find ourselves imprisoned in some way. That can be something that happens to us in our heart or in our mind. It can happen in our relationships. It can happen in our understanding of who we are or the way that we would sabotage the plans or purposes that God has for our life. There's any number of ways that we can find ourselves in that place. Sometimes we are a prisoner of our own making. We did that. We made that decision. We actually built that cell, moved in, and locked the door on ourselves. Sometimes that's the way that life has moved to oppress and restrict the things of God in us and sometimes it's the result of other people's decisions and we were the ones who were offended. We were the ones who were oppressed. We were the ones who were done wrong to. But regardless of how we get there, Jesus is the answer to get out of that. Jesus is the one who has come to proclaim freedom for the captives. And this is as much freedom from sin and brokenness and moving from life, or excuse me, from death to life as it is for the healing and wholeness process in uh, any other area of your personhood. That he has come to bring freedom. And walking in darkness is to live out our bondage. Walking in darkness looks like leaning into and living out our brokenness. Walking in darkness looks like just living out a life of bondage. If you were to continue reading in chapter 8, as Jesus is kind of going into this conversation with the Pharisees, and they're trying to press him on Old Testament technicalities to avoid the statement that he made, to void out this audacious statement where he says, I am the light of the world, and if you don't want to live in darkness, you've got to come to me. As they try to escape out of that conversation, there's this push and pull that Jesus moves in towards, and he turns the the conversation towards the idea of, of being free. He actually addresses this idea of freedom and the need for it. And in John chapter 8, verse 31, Jesus speaking to the group there, he says, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will look at this, know the truth, and the truth will set you free. A few verses later, he says, If the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. You're, like you're truly free. We like to take this verse and set it alone on the side, right? You'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. We like to kind of take it out of context at times and apply it in any number of ways to relationship and the way that we would interact with others. But Jesus lets us know that if we're going to really know the truth, the truth is uh, something that is aligned and informed by following him. By listening to his words and putting those into practice. If you hold to my teaching... Not only are you truly my follower, but you will also, what, know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's always interesting to me how often I see this verse quoted and used out in the secular, disassociated from the truth of Jesus' teaching or the invitation to follow after him. But contextually, that's where it is, that when we come to him as the light of the world, when we acknowledge him and we make that movement forward, that that's where freedom is ultimately found. The truth of who he is applied to our lives brings freedom in that sense. And then he moves on from the, the idea of proclaim freedom for the captives to release from darkness for the prisoners. There's still kind of like this, this bondage language that's being used here. But there's a better understanding for the way this idea of release from darkness for the prisoners and uh, 
the, the, the thread here of prison, the idea of prison can be both this idea of being kind of locked in a place or being kind of overwhelmed or bound in darkness. There really is a, a statement or a nuance to what's being said here and then both repeated in Luke chapter 4 where it's not a physical prison. It's not you did hard time in jail, but there's something about your person, your heart, mind, soul, and spirit. The, there's something about who you are that has been now enveloped or shrouded in darkness and held fast and you can't get out. In fact, it would be the same type of thing that would be laid over the idea of being spiritually blind. I'm not physically restricted, but in my person, in my countenance, in my understanding, I can't see, I can't discern, I don't understand, I can't respond to. Paul writes a lot about this in the book of Romans, about the way that a man's conscience can be so seared that he finds himself in opposition to a loving God as if the loving God hates him. That you can find yourself in like a violent standoff with a loving God who's looking to save and redeem and restore you. But you're so darkened to that idea that you can't respond to it in that way. And so there's really this idea of being invited to have your eyes open. In fact, the old hymns would suggest that I've seen the what? The light. They, they would use that as an understanding of how to respond to the truth of Jesus. I've, I've seen the light. It's not just a light. I've seen the light. And so Jesus is contrasting what it looks like. And there's this picture of walking in darkness. I want to take a moment to just sidestep for a second and to address something that I think is really helpful. See, we're talking about the idea of kind of walking in darkness and how to discern whether or not that's part of our present reality. And then we're going to look at how can we respond to Jesus in a way that begins to reverse all of those things. But I want to address the sense that you and I often have that darkness is swallowing us up. If you're somebody who's wrestled with anxiety or depression, if you've walked through a deep grief or a lamentation that just is something that you can't seem to get out of, you may feel that way. If you have wrestled with things that have been spoken to you that have wounded or hurt or disfigured your identity and your sense of who you are, and you feel like you are being lost or swallowed up by darkness, that's a very, very real experience that people have. As a pastor, that is often language that I hear when people are going through difficulty and where they're going through struggle. They'll feel like, pastors, darkness is closing in on me. I feel like I'm being overwhelmed or swallowed up by darkness. It's a, it's a fair metaphor to use for the way that we feel, but can I tell you, it is not the truth. Don't, ally, uh, don't align your, your mind with that lie. Darkness cannot swallow you. Darkness can't actually even advance. I had a really fun conversation with my friend David when we were in Thailand. And we were talking about an encouragement that he felt like he needed to bring to our friends in the village, our, our Aka friends at the church there, sensing that there was just kind of this feeling of being uh, in a hostile environment, being in a place where very often there's persecution for Christians. It's a difficult place at times to follow Jesus in this sense that, that uh, the, the darkness around them would be pressing them in. And as David and I were having this conversation about how he wanted to encourage them about Jesus being a light, he said, I've always had this like really fun thought and, and I don't know what you think about it. He goes, but you know how we have flashlights 
And I'm like, yeah, I'm aware of those, right? I don't know where this conversation is going. Like, I have several. And he goes, we have flashlights, but we don't have flash darks. And I thought, what are you talking about? I'm like, thanks a lot, Bill Nye, the science guy. Like, where are we going with this? Like, I, I had no idea. And, but, the, but the thought was this. Like, light is something that projects and advances. Light ex- exerts itself. It's causal and creates. Darkness, if, if you, under, if you rem- remember this from just science growing up, darkness is not even a thing. It's, it's only the absence of light. And it was, it was such like a profound thought because so often we feel like darkness pressing us. And even when you use that metaphorically about the demonic world and we would say the forces of darkness are, are coming against us and just in, in the sense of Jesus saying, I am the light of the world, the, the, darkness doesn't overcome the light. In fact, John, as he opens his gospel, makes that assertion, and we all know that to be true, that he says that there was a true light, the light of life that was coming, a true light that gives light to every man, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. And it's such an important thing for you before we move on, just to, to, just to settle. Like, darkness cannot press in on you. You cannot be overcome by it. To the degree that we allow the light of Christ to diminish in us, we invite the encroachment. But the lights are on in here, and if it was dark outside, if we open the windows, there's no fear that the dark is going to come into the room. The light goes out. And I just want to reinforce this idea. Jesus, Jesus does not give way to darkness. So if you're dealing with walking in darkness and there's a poorness to your life, there's a diminishment in your person. If you're in a place where you are dealing and walking and owning your brokenness, but you're not contending for healing and wholeness, listen, don't allow that. Jesus doesn't give way to that. You don't either. You stand in the authority of Jesus' name and you begin to pursue the things that he says that he's come to do. He's come to bind up the brokenhearted. Go to Jesus. And allow the light of Christ to push the darkness back. Do, do the same thing with the places where you are bound and fettered and restricted, where you are in bondage. Do that in the places where you lack discipline and you're bound by addiction. Like, let Jesus set you free. Do that in those places where you are spiritually blind and you're kind of wrestling through. Man, I don't, I'm not even sure if I can discern the, two, the truth. Move towards the light. Because there is no, there's, there's no way that darkness can overcome. It, do, it doesn't project. It doesn't move forward. In fact, it has to retreat whenever the light comes. And so what does it look like to have the light of life? If darkness looks, if darkness looks like just fully experiencing my brokenness, that having the light of life means I'm allowing Jesus to bring healing and wholeness. If darkness looks like living out my bondage, then having the light of life means that I am walking in freedom as I follow Jesus. And if walking in darkness means, means having my mind and my heart kind of overcome or overwhelmed by darkness, allowing my spiritual eyes to go through 
an ocular degeneration where I'm just getting more and more used to the darkness, then I've got to have the light of Jesus to shine into that for me to see the need that's there. In John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus makes another statement about why he has come. And in this statement, it's not an I am statement of who he is, but what he does. And he contrasts it with what it looks like to experience darkness. He says that the thief has come to steal and to kill and destroy. That there, there is one that would pursue you in a way that would look to take all of the things that are supposed to be yours. But Jesus says, but I have come so that they can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. That's the light of life. That's what he's talking about when he says, I am the light of the world. And you can live out a life of less. Or you can come to me and have more and better life than you ever dreamed of. And as we come to Jesus, the darkness has to retreat because he is the one way. He is the light of the world. Church family, if you would stand, we're going to take a moment to respond. Worship team, if you would come forward, lead us out in a song in just a moment. I'm going to ask you for just a moment to close your eyes, and this is just a way to drown out distractions. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would soften our hearts, that as you uh, would speak to us, as you would look to illuminate the needs in our lives, that we would be open and honest before you. Make us aware of our need today. For just these few moments, I want to introduce a couple of questions for you to just interact with the Lord on. It's possible to even cognitively affirm the idea that Jesus is the light of the world, but not have him be the light of your life. And so we'll begin there. Are you in need of Jesus to not simply be the light of the world as he declares he is, whether you like it or not, whether you experience that or not? When it becomes personally applied, is he the light of your life? Until that decision's made, you're not left with any other real options. You, you have to stumble in darkness. You have to rely on your best effort and your intentions, your own sense of, I'm gonna make, make sense of this, I'm gonna figure it all out, and then at the end of it, I'll come to my own conclusion. And that can lead you in a pursuit of academics and understanding. You can go through all kinds of discipline of learning. You could know scripture inside and out. You can have a mastery of religious expression and you can have a really good moral code and be just as spiritually blind as the Pharisees of the day. Maybe you're in a place where right now, where your experience is that you're, you're walking in darkness. You're living out your brokenness. Would you make your way to Jesus today and receive healing and wholeness? 
Maybe you've accepted the bondage in your life. Rather than having Jesus speak freedom, lead you to freedom and declare you to be free. You've just resigned yourself that you'll always be bound. You'll always be fettered. Let Jesus be the true light of the world in your life today and offer his invitation to freedom. Maybe you're in a place where you're wrestling with spiritual blindness. This one is challenging because this is going to be one of those ones where we're actually not aware. The Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, their hearts were hard. Their minds were made up. They were puffed up in pride and arrogance and they felt that they already knew everything that they needed to know. It's a good practice for followers of Jesus to humble themselves in his presence. It's a good practice for us to kneel before his throne and to allow the Spirit of God and the Word of God to search our hearts because we could slowly be coming spiritually dim and not even be aware of it. Lord, we humble ourselves before you today and we ask that you would search our hearts, that you would know our thoughts, that you would bring to our attention our deep need and remind us that our needs are only met in you. Jesus, we look to you as the one way. We look to you as the true light of the world. We pray that you would shine bright in us and through us. Lord, that we would be people of faith and confidence, that we would know where we go with you, that darkness has to retreat. Help us to walk in the healing and the wholeness and the freedom that you provide and to encourage others to do the same this week in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. A few action steps for you this week to just kind of uh, respond to the message. But one is I would encourage you to each day this week, invite Jesus into your life as the light of the world. Make that a personal invitation each day this week. Number two, receive the healing and the freedom that he offers. Be open-armed to receive that. Number three, walk in that confidence and then share that with someone else this week.